Hey everyone, welcome to In Doubt. This week on the show, we hear from Dr. Mark Ward, Dr. John Newfeld, and Ben Lowell as they discuss two seemingly random, yet relevant, and slightly intertwined topics, marijuana and also creationism. I have a dear friend who teaches evolutionary science. He's an atheist. And he tells me that all of the kids that he gets in his class, he says almost all of them believe in God. It takes me years to teach it out of them. And my response to that is, exactly. We are created to commune with the God who made us. And you have to do some very clever teaching to take that out of a person. Hey everyone, welcome back to In Doubt. My name is Ryan, your host. And like I mentioned in our last episode, this is new for me. I'm in a new position here at In Doubt, and so I'm going to be your host moving forward. And I'm really excited uh, to be able to step in and engage in the conversation of our world. And so maybe you're listening to this and you are a follower of Jesus and you are following his way. Or maybe you're not, and you've got a lot of questions about Jesus and the way that he encourages all his people to live. And so I want to welcome you on this journey that we're on, where we are going to increasingly in the future dialogue about a lot of different uh, current issues regarding social justice and theology and how we ought to live in the 21st century. And so I'm glad to have you here with me today. And what we're actually going to do today is we're going to look at a two-part series um, that we've actually recorded in the past because in the next couple of weeks, we have some exciting interviews coming up, some exciting discussions happening. But today, I would love for us to look at a conversation that's happened in the past between Ben Lowell, Dr. John Newfeld, and Dr. Mark Ward. And this is going to be set up into two sections. And the first section is this, marijuana. And maybe you've listened to some of our most recent in-doubt conversations And this has come up. Well, it's come up a lot because on October 17th in Canada, marijuana has been legalized for recreational use. We want to enter into this conversation really well, where we recognize that God has created the heavens and the earth and all that he created is good. And then how do we as followers of God steward what he has created? And so these three gentlemen are going to engage in this conversation. And I would love for you to take a listen. You know, this is a, a timely topic. Uh, I think there's a lot of interest here. Uh, when we had conversations before, there's been some, uh, a bit of conflict in respect to uh, when we're talking about medical and when we're talking about recreational marijuana use. Could you help me define that a little bit? Well, the line is not absolutely set, and that's one of the reasons we have conflict over it. But in general, in the West, we have a medical establishment with people with training who are allowed to prescribe medicines that have been vetted and tested. In the United States, we have the Food and Drug Administration that controls these tests. And we are outsourcing to gifted and trained people like that the authority and responsibility to tell us when a given substance ingested orally or applied topically is going to help us. Whereas recreational use is what people do on their own without the intervention of someone who's able to prescribe uh, medical uh, treatments. Now, you have co-authored a book with uh, Tom Breeden called Can I Smoke Pot? Marijuana in the Light of Scripture. How does the Bible speak into these types of things? Obviously, the Bible doesn't talk specifically about marijuana, but you talk about that in your book as well. Well, the first line of my book is, in the beginning, God created pot. 
And I didn't say that just to shock people and sell books, but to make a very important theological point that all plants were created by God. And even though marijuana has been cultivated and therefore changed over time by humans, nonetheless, the potentials that are in that plant were placed there by God, even these hallucinogenic potentials. And so it'd be easy for us as Christians to jump in and look at those problems created by, uh, by the, the, the way the drug affects your brain and blame what is essentially good, God's creation, for the problems that marijuana creates. We need to be able to stop, step back and say, God gave us this good thing for good reasons. Now we have to find the good uses of it. Yeah, Mark, I know you talked about, uh, in your book, you, you, you've talked about all the different examples of positive uses. I think you've talked about rope. Uh, you have a number of other examples. Could you give some of those? Boy, you took the easiest one. Well, I did, I, um, I did, that's why. <laughs> that's the one that I think most people are aware of. And in fact, I was just interested to find out that hemp, uh, marijuana plants uh, created for the making of hemp were encouraged by the founding fathers of the US oh. for private cultivation because it was actually a major asset on the high seas back then. If you didn't have hemp-based rope, then you couldn't have ships they were resistant to the, you know, the salt water. And that is just one example of, you know, who knows how many yeah. great good things could be done with this plant. I don't think all of the potentialities of creation have been discovered yet. That's an easy one to point to. So we can still say this is a good thing. That doesn't mean that all the uses we fallen humans put it to are good because we are fallen. Yeah. John, you mentioned earlier uh, about self-medicating, and that's sort of that gray area, isn't it, between recreational and medical use, and you had some things to say about self-medicating. No, I've been in third world countries where people commonly self-medicate. Yeah. You know, they will uh, pass medications across the backyard to your neighbor and so forth and say, you know, these little red pills really help my mom, you might want to try these. Yeah. And it's created all manner of difficulties, and it's created uh, uh, resistant diseases, all manner of things. So in the West, we tend to have said, you know, be very careful when you do any medication. Do it in concert with your physician. Uh, so self-medication, we've come to recognize, always is problematic. Okay. So that's why I think we're making that distinction between recreational use and medical use. And there we'd lean hard on the entire medical establishment. And as we already know, Ben, that that medical establishment is far from being where they need to be in terms of testing and the amount of time that it takes to actually know what's an appropriate use of marijuana. Yeah, and I think it's important to say too uh, that depending upon your age, marijuana can have some significantly uh, bad effects uh, upon uh, particularly teenagers. Uh, was there anything in your book in respect to that, uh, Mark? The one little factoid that I leaned pretty hard on, because I, I'm a theologian, you know, I'm not a social scientist, I'm not a medical professional who's done the actual studies. I have to rely on the authority of these folks. So I looked for someone reasonably objective, like the National Traffic and Safety and Highway Administration in the US, and they said that you can get high on uh, marijuana smoking it with between one and three puffs. Mm. And that would apply to teenagers who are exploring this as well as to uh, older folks who are trying to check out of life's troubles, let's say. And if that's the case, then my Bible uh, knowledge immediately comes to me. I think of what Paul said about not being under the power of anything. We don't want to be slaves to something that will impair our ability to obey the Lord, to uh, love our neighbor. And you're driving a car, as my dad used to 
call it, uh, you know, a two-ton metal bullet that yeah. can kill somebody just like that. You're not loving your neighbor when you've taken even one puff that has this high potential to get you high and therefore impair you, put you under the control of something other than the spirit. Yeah. And that takes us down the direction we want to go now is like, well, what is the Bible saying about marijuana? If it doesn't say something specifically, what else is it saying? Well, I think a lot of uh, where we go in terms of Scripture is how Christians responsibly use the freedom that God has given us. See, especially when it comes to issues that are not directly mentioned in the Bible. But I do think one of the things that we need to pay attention to is the biblical counsel around the flesh. Because we know that the flesh has a life of its own and can begin to call us to act in ways that are contrary to our own will. And the flesh really is about established habits that we continue to repeat over and over again, which begin to take the place of willful actions. So these established habits just basically rule the day for us, and we become slaves to the flesh. Mm. I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, I think about another passage where Paul talks about not using your liberty as a cloak for covetousness. That is, there are liberties accorded us in our nation um, and even by the Bible that can be abused. And certainly uh, a good gift of God ultimately, like this plant, can be abused. I've said in the book that, you know, God created uranium. That doesn't mean you should stick it in your mouth and light it on fire. We need to find the appropriate uses for these uh, good God-given gifts. I do also think of, on the other hand, however, there's this other ditch where we can be forbidding things that God created for us to be receiving with thanksgiving. So we do need to be careful that we're not setting up barriers around God's word that are actually end up being a new legalism. But I, I don't think that's what we're doing here when we're cautioning very firmly against the use of recreational marijuana, yea, even forbidding it to our own families and churches, because we're trying to apply these passages, passages like you said. We don't want to see people be slaves to the flesh, and that's what we observe ends up happening when people partake of these things. They, they seem to be enslaved, whereas the Bible says we ought to be slaves of Christ, and that is where we will find our true freedom. In some ways, what's happened legally now in this country is Prior to you know, the present time, we've been saying, uh, you don't use marijuana because it's actually illegal. And the Bible you know, forbids us to disobey the government except in those areas where it directly violates our faith. So it's been very easy to do so. Suddenly it's all different for us. But I think in some ways it's not bad because we're asking people to really begin to weigh what Christian freedom is, how to deal with things that are not specifically spoken of in the scripture, and begin to weigh them in terms of the wisdom that Scripture does give us. So I think this is one example in which we can do that. I think also of the way that Christians can be a light in this world and can show that we have a hope that goes beyond this world. Why are we experiencing the problems with drugs that we have in our Western society? Well, on, among a number of other reasons, I was just reading a non-Christian columnist in the United States who was prescribing, who was diagnosing the problem this way. He said, you know, as the unified story that we used to tell as a culture is falling apart and communities are falling apart. People uh, don't have a purpose in their lives and they're looking to escape from their lives and they turn to drugs. Well, what can Christians do in such a situation? We can show that we do have a purpose for our lives that, that's given to us from someone who's beyond and above nature. And if we can show that when we face anxiety, our first 
turn is not to any kind of drug. Our first turn is to the Lord who says, don't worry, because if God clothed the grass of the field like this, how much more will he clothe you? He says, the Gentiles seek after all these physical things. You seek God's kingdom first, and all these things will be added to you. We can have a great testimony to our consumerist and empty, spiritually empty society by having that spiritual hope and trust in God. Being that as it may, someone might come to you then and say, well, God has given me this so that I might use it, so that I might get over the stresses and the difficulties of my life. So would we say, no, you shouldn't do that, is what we're saying? Well, we should, I think, should be suspicious of a Western society which has increasingly pushed God to the margins of our public discourse and increasingly treated persons as merely physical beings and therefore people who are, um, uh, where the solutions to our problems then are going to be merely physical like medicine. And And the Bible does offer wine, you know, Paul says to Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. It's not wrong at all. It's good that we have these physical substances that we can take that can encourage our health. But overall, I think the Bible's emphasis is on spiritual solutions to spiritual problems. Yeah. So what conclusions would you draw in our short period of time? What would we say to people in respect to how do we respond to marijuana? I think a really important principle for Christians to realize is that when we make good and necessary consequence of the Bible, that is, we're drawing out application that isn't shaky. If the Bible says, don't get drunk with wine, we're applying this to recreational use of marijuana. I think that's a solid application. It carries the authority of God's word. Even though the Bible doesn't specifically mention marijuana, we need to be able to stand on that authority when we're making uh, uh, reasonable applications of it. In Doubt is a nonprofit organization, and all that we make available, like our live talks or concert events, Bible studies, and podcasts, are free of cost to you as an individual or a group. We would love to have your assistance with In Doubt so that we can continue to provide those resources. If you feel like this is where God is leading you and you're willing to contribute financially, then please donate today by going to indoubt.ca if you live in Canada or indoubt.com if you live in the U.S. Next, we're going to continue the conversation with Ben Lowell, Dr. John Neufeld, and Dr. Mark Ward. And this time, we're going to look at science, the existence of God, and naturalism. And so these questions that are going to be discussed are really getting to the heart of, who do I trust? Do I trust God? Or do I trust what I can see, what I can taste, what I can smell, what I can touch? Or am I choosing to put my trust in God? And so this is a conversation that is very important for our time. So why don't you take a listen? Dr. Mark Ward, great to have you here today. We want to talk about uh, something unique today, and I think maybe not everybody walking down the street is thinking about it at every moment, but I think it would be true to say it is a major issue uh, today, and that's our whole perspective of science, and maybe that sense of uh, that the Christian world is somehow always in tension with science. Give me some sense of that, Mark. What do you think? In the West, science with a big capital S and maybe S-C-I-E-N-C-E. It's it's just got this huge cultural cachet. It seems to be the way to know. And, and people tend to assume this view of the world in which the only way to quote unquote prove something is 
to find empirical, that is, scientific proof for it. And any Christian who believes, as Hebrews says, that by faith we understand is thereby pushed to the margin. Our way of knowing truth is considered not to be a way of knowing at all. You can't know things that can't be observed, touched, tasted, felt, smelled, um, the way science and scientism, you know, demands. How has that impacted the Christian in the pew? Like, do they believe that then? Is, is, is it so prevalent that now we say, well, you know what? If the Bible doesn't agree with science, then we're, we're off the mark. I think that this view of the world is so pervasive that it is the default view taken even by believers when they come into the pew of a church and they demote their own knowledge of God himself to kind of the secondary category of something that cannot be proven. Um, when, you know, how can you prove the existence of your wife? If God is a person, like my wife is a person, then I can say I know him, even if I can't give some kind of scientific demonstration. We, we need to push back against not just the um, presenting issues like creation and evolution debate, which is important too, but the more subtle underlying and philosophical worldview issues where science is saying that you can't know metaphysical or supernatural truth. Now, if I can just add to that, because I think, Mark, what we're talking about here is, you know, the worldview language. So naturalism is a worldview that says nothing exists outside of nature. And if nothing exists outside of nature, and we're talking about something in a spirit realm, which by definition doesn't exist, um, then in that sense, we can't be talking about reality. On the other hand, I think what we can say that if indeed nature isn't all there is, and there is indeed a spirit realm, then the minute we say that, we also have to say that science is limited in terms of what it's able to talk about. Science can talk about nature, but it can't talk about metaphysics. It can't talk about ultimate meaning. It can't talk about, it can talk about creation, but it can't talk about the creator. So basically, I think what Christians are saying is, we're not at odds with science, provided that science understands that it has a unique role, but it doesn't have the only role. Or the ultimate role. Or the ultimate role. Yes, very good. No. There, there's a British uh, writer who's a total atheist, but a brilliant writer, John Gray, who's written several times kind of the same article over the years in which in the Guardian newspaper, he'll say something like, he'll just point out that scientism, this idea that science is the only and preeminent way to know, has been tied to various value systems over time. And every time it's, they speak as if it's obvious that these particular values follow from you know, what science has most assuredly shown us. Well, he says eugenics uh, in the early 20th yeah. century, where we're gonna kill off the people who are inferior, um, that was tied directly to science, and now that has no cultural cachet, or maybe a little bit of returning cultural cachet, but broadly speaking, it doesn't. Now it's tied to um, uh, you know uh, rights of every kind in the sexual arena, that you know science somehow proves that there is no necessary reality in our God, we would say, God-given sex or gender. 
Um, the fact that science has been used to underwrite various moral value systems ought to indicate to us it has, as you said, a limited role. Yeah, and, and that doesn't, I don't think that undermines science. I think Christians want to say we celebrate science because this is my father's world. And I don't think any of us should ever be, uh, you know, intimidated when, you know, something has been discovered in the natural world that so expands our way of seeing things. I mean, I don't feel, find myself on my heels because of it. In fact, tell me more when the Hubble telescope tells me that the universe is far larger than I'd ever imagined, my response is, tell me more. Uh, so I am happy with all these discoveries, but I'm not happy when science says, I can tell you something about ethics, right and wrong, or about how to treat your neighbor. Um, and, and furthermore, I don't think science can tell us anything about the foundation of the world. It can tell us about the development of systems in the world, but it can't tell us how things came into being. How does something come from nothing is not a scientific question. It is, in fact, a spiritual question. It's a theological question. And so I think by allowing science to get into a realm that it's not supposed to be in, we've really perverted what science is supposed to be. Yeah. Now, uh, you've been involved in writing a text, a biblical worldview text. Uh, give me a sense of how do we prepare young people for this just overwhelming presence of science in the education system? My mind goes immediately to one of my favorite writers, C.S. Lewis, who was back in the 40s and 50s, a very effective Christian apologist against a view which at that time as now seems like the cool uh, view that carries the social cachet, this word I keep using. And he said that um, materialism was not something that he uh, feels threatened by. He said even before he was a Christian, he rejected it. Um, he saw that it was a truncated view of the world. Um, and, and he pointed out also that we all believe things on authority. You know, I believe Winnipeg, Manitoba exists. I've never been there, but I've talked to trusted people who have. Um, he says that's totally appropriate. And so we as Christians, we have to ask, who are, who are the trusted authorities out there? Well, we have God-given teachers in the church. We also do have scientists who've been given these gifts by God. But then we have the Bible telling us God's perspective on the foundation of the world. And we're going to be uh, moving our conversation from science a little bit into the whole area of creation. And uh, now, Mark, you've written a book, or a textbook, I'm sorry, uh, called uh, Biblical Worldview, Creation, Fall, and Redemption, uh, which you're preparing young people, I think, for that conversation in part. So let's, let's look at creation for a bit. It's a big debate, I mean, amongst the science audience, amongst the Christian audience, uh, in between. What do we have to say about creation and, and those things which we, we just can't separate ourselves from? You know, I know there's been a number of debates between Christians, in-house debates. There are really three positions that are being held within the Christian community. One is the six-day literal creation. Uh, the second is the intelligent design view, uh, which will allow for longer periods of time. The third is the evolutionary, theistic evolutionary debate. Um, I think when we talk this kind of language, we have to be clear, what are the things that we need to defend biblically, and what are the things that we can allow Christians to actually disagree about? I mean, mm -hmm. That's, yeah. I think, helpful. So when you're looking at those things, what might some of those things be? What are the non-negotiables that we say, this separates us from being Christian? 
we were discussing this yeah. beforehand, and we agree a historical Adam and Eve are absolutely essential. They are at the foundation point of the whole Bible story. Without them being historical figures who actually fell, then Romans 5, these key you know, theological passages in the New Testament, they don't make any sense. Jesus himself made an argument in Matthew 19 from, that relies on the historical existence of Adam and Eve, not merely as mythical archetypes, but as actual human beings who actually in real space-time history took of the fruit of the tree and transgressed against their creator. That, those seem to me to be right at the heart of the Christian faith and therefore linchpins in this debate. Yeah, maybe we need to go back and just, for those listening that don't know Romans 5 well, by one man sin entered into the world and death through that one man. So the entire story of the fall, we have fallen from grace. God made this perfect world, and the perfect world that he made was invaded by sin when Adam and Eve decided to disobey God. Christ becomes the second Adam. He restores that which was ruined by the first one, and therefore he becomes the head of a new human race, those who have been redeemed, and he brings them to perfection. So that account of our salvation is ruined when we do away with a physical Adam. So we, I think, agree that Christians can disagree about the age of the earth, but we better not disagree about uh, that there was a pristine earth that was created that fell from grace through the sin of one man. That we better not disagree on. What else might there be that we want to hold fast to? Well, I think there's a number of things when it comes to creation that we want to hold fast to. So if we take one step back, Mark, we want to say the earth is the product of intelligent design. We can say the heavens declare the glory of God. That it's not just that the earth has, as evolutionists say, an appearance of design. It is actually has the appearance of design because it was designed. And I think we want to say that. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you this. How or what do we need to be cautious of in respect to the suppression of the truth? What is science telling us that doesn't fit with biblical understanding of creation? I have a dear friend who, um, who teaches evolutionary science. He's an atheist. And he tells me that all of the kids that he finally gets in his class, he says, almost all of them believe in God. It takes me years to teach it out of them. And my response to that is, exactly. Uh, we are created in the image of God to commune with the God who made us. That's what it means to be his special design. And you have to do some very clever teaching to take that out of a person. So in that sense, he's spoken the truth. One of my theology teachers likened the suppression of the truth to somebody trying to sit on a beach ball inside a pool and try to keep it down. Says eventually that thing's going to pop up. Yeah, yeah. And the fact is that when our educated people in our society, whose intelligence I do not deny, such as your atheist friend and my best friend from kindergarten is the same place, uh -huh. a very brilliant guy, I love him to death. We have great discussions. Uh, when they suppress that truth, it's ultimately going to pop up. You can't bend the truth away and away and away without it ultimately snapping back. We've got to keep telling the Christian story and believe it with all our hearts because the end of it is the hope of resurrection that we as Christians all share. Yeah. John, one last question. We don't all agree about creation, even within the family of believers. What do we do with that? We have to be very clear about what are the unmovable items, the things that 
we cannot disagree with. We talked about little Adam and Eve. We talked about um, sin coming into the world. We have to make a distinction between that and those other things where Christians can disagree with doesn't mean they're not important, but we can disagree and recognize that we're still brothers in the faith and still hold the truth of God's word. Yeah. All right, everyone, that is all we have for you today. Again, my name is Ryan, your In Doubt host, and I'm really looking forward to this next season ahead for In Doubt. If you have questions that you would love for us to discuss on the air, then we would be happy to hear from you. You can always email info at indoubt.ca, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. Or you could message us on Instagram, at indoubtca. And so we want to hear from you, and we want you to be part of the conversation. So tune in next week for our next episode. In Doubt Ministries exists to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life, faith, and culture that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S.